Thanks for tuning into localjobnetwork.com radio, where you can find all of your favorite employment-related shows. I'm Katie Chesney, and you're listening to Management Decisions, a show where we bring in high-level executives from a wide collection of businesses to discuss what goes on at the top of the food chain. Today's topic is international business etiquette, and we'll be talking with Jeanette Martin, author of Global Business Etiquette, A Guide to International Communication and Customs, and professor of business communication at the University of Mississippi. So thank you for joining us today, Jeanette, and why don't we dive right into the topic? So could you tell us a little bit about your experience with international communication and business? Yes. Originally, I worked in industry, and one of my first international positions was with Quaker Oats. And then I also did some international work when I was with Robert Bosch, who is a German company. Mm-hmm. And with both of those positions, one of the things I ran into were people from other cultures. And when I was going through college, undergraduate, no one ever talked about intercultural. The closest you came to it was in your French or your Spanish classes. Mm-hmm. There, there were no, no classes to help you. And there were things that stymied me. And after I started studying intercultural communication in grad school, I then realized what had happened. And one of them, and it's one of my favorites, because it doesn't matter what country in the world or what language you're dealing with, it's true. We would go to meetings, and my German counterparts would start speaking in German to each other. And I found this very irritating, Mm -hmm. because I couldn't understand German. And come to find out, what really is going on is it's a lot easier if you're thinking about something and kind of brainstorming it to think in your native language. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to do that in the second or a third language, which English was for many of these people, because Germans, unlike us, speak numerous languages. And we don't have that opportunity. I think if we did, I would have been more aware of what was going on. Right. And I know many Americans have the same the same problem. Okay. Now, global business has a huge span. So to put it in perspective, what are the top 3 countries that the United States does the most business with or have you or in your experience you've seen the most interaction with through Americans? Well, currently it, it and it has changed. Uh, China has become huge. Mm-hmm. Canada is still our number 1 trading partner. And that's interesting, of course, also because even though they speak English, there's 18 varieties of English in the world. Right. So someone speaking English doesn't mean you're going to be understood. And then the third one will vary, but right now it's Mexico. Now, what are the most common mistakes that people make when they're traveling to those three countries? And why don't we um, start with Canada? So once you know you're traveling and you make a mistake, how do you come back from it? One thing is be able to laugh at yourself and admit it. You know, most people, if you admit that you've made a mistake or you can tell by the look on their face, you have made a misstep, simply say, what did I do wrong? And have them explain it to you so you don't do it again. I mean, we're helpful to other people who come here and people in other countries are also helpful if you allow them to be. It's not your native country. Mm -hmm. That's okay. So it's expected that you might make mistakes, and that's okay. You know, it's like if you're in Canada, they do like the queen. Yes, they're not a direct, directly under control of the queen, but the queen is still very important to most Canadians. 
And so one of the things you don't want to do is you don't want to say something or make a joke about the queen because they just don't find that funny. Mm-hmm. So, you know, things like this, you need, you need to be very careful about. If you're in Quebec, it would help you tremendously if you speak French and not Parisian French. It's got to be Quebec French because there's a lot of the French francophones that will not speak English. They can speak English. I mean, everyone in Canada can speak both English and French because they've had it all the way through school. But you will have francophones who will refuse to speak English. Well, those are certainly good things to know. You've mentioned that there are 18 varieties of English and, you know, there's different varieties of French and then even Spanish and then you're getting into the, um, you know, China and all the different languages there. Is it imperative to, when you're traveling to, say, one location like China, is it imperative for you to learn that language or at least become familiar with it? Or is English kind of the common tongue that holds all these business relationships together? Well, English is definitely the common tongue. The problem is you don't know what variety of English the people you may be dealing with are speaking. And therein lies the problem. They, the vocabulary may not be the same. Mm-hmm. A good word is table. When we table something in the United States in the business, that means we're going to put it aside. Right. Well, if you have somebody who's learned British English, that means to deal with it immediately. Same word, but completely opposite meaning. And it's, in, it's important to know some of those kinds of things. As far as knowing the other language, there's no way a business person today could know all of the languages of all the people in the world they're going to be working with. So it's important to know some phrases mm-hmm. so you can greet them in their language. And then if you need an interpreter or translator, hire one and make sure that they are bilingual completely in the two languages. And how can you find that out if they're actually fluent in that language when you don't speak it? Is there a way to like test them? Is there like a translator certification? So if you need one, you know that they're bona fide and they're real. Well, there are places where you can hire them. And generally, if somebody has lived in the other country, they're going to be fluent in that language if they've lived there any, any time. Or if you have somebody who is from a bilingual family where they grew up with both languages, they're the ones that are really good at translating because they've been doing it their whole life. Mm-hmm. So, so you don't want somebody who has just learned the language in school. And one of the reasons is in business is they may not have the business language they need. Now, with these three countries, Canada, China, and Mexico, are there any situations that call for certain etiquette, like exchanging business cards, alcohol during business meals, and topics of conversations before meetings? Is there anything that's really particular that you should do in those top three countries when you're traveling for business? All three of them you should exchange business cards in. Mm-hmm. And it's also very good if you're going to be dealing a lot in another country to have your business card translated on the backside into the language of that country. In many countries, your position is very important, as are your degrees. So you would want all of that indicated on your business card. And if you don't normally do it on your English side, then do it in your Spanish or your Chinese side. And in China, basically, the main Chinese language is Mandarin. That's the one that all the kids learn in school. 
So you don't need to worry about the other Chinese derivatives. If you have a Mandarin business card, you're going to be fine. Another situation with that is, in some cultures, it would be considered rude to stick that business card in your pocket or to write on it. You should look at it and then put it down on the table in front of you until you're ready to leave. And then it should go into a card holder. What is the, I mean, they just find it a little bit insulting if you put it in your pocket for safekeeping. You should rather just keep it on the table in front of you. They, they look at it as you didn't, it wasn't important to you because you've kind of stuffed it away already. Okay. Rather than keeping it out where you can refer to it. Now, what about alcohol during business meals? Because, you know, here in America, I feel like it's very relaxed when you're, you know, had to have a drink before a business meal. And is it the same way in, you know, Germany, Germany, China, and Mexico? In in Germany, they will actually be served beer with their lunches. Many companies will actually have corporate cafeterias, and mm-hmm. you can get beer or wine with your lunch. Now, drinking in Europe is very different from drinking in the United States. I mean, they're able to have a beer, a glass of wine. There's not the binge drinking Mm -hmm. that tends to go on here. I I always tell everyone, only drink at business occasions if you can control your drinking. Now, if you're in a country like Japan, it is considered rude not to go out with your counterpart drinking. And this is where it can get kind of iffy because you have to be careful. One of the things the Japanese feel is if you have a little alcohol, that makes you freer to be truthful about what's going on and to answer questions that you might not answer in a meeting. And it's often said that meeting with a Japanese, most of it is done after work in a bar rather than during work in the meeting. And it's just they they feel more comfortable that way. All right. Well, that's certainly good to know. Now, what about dress code and how how does that vary for men and women depending on the culture that you're in? For business people still, you need to be pretty dressed up. I mean, most places in the world are not casual to the point of jeans. Most countries in the world, if you're working, you should have business dress clothes on. And I think you can never replace a first impression. So it never hurts to be dressed up. Now, yes, there's very hot climates in the world where you're not going to wear a three-piece suit and you're probably not going to keep a tie on, but you still should have good dress shoes on. You should have good quality clothing on. It shouldn't be something that you would wear to the beach. Okay. Now, what about emailing? Because obviously you're going to email with your counterparts before you travel over there to see them and discuss business with them. Are there any tips or etiquette suggestions you would have for emailing? Yeah, you're definitely going to email. I mean, email is probably the biggest thing that's made international business. One of the things on emailing is to make sure you use good punctuation and complete sentences. Mm -hmm. Because they're probably, you're probably going to be using English and it's probably not going to be their first language. So you don't want to use a lot of shortcuts that we might tend to use with our friends. You want to use very good grammar, complete sentences, a salutation, and you want to use a close at the end. And you want to give them your information as far as how to contact you. You know, street address, phone, email, make sure they have all of it. 
because if they come here or you go there, it's always nice to have all that information on the other person. Definitely. But basically, you know, just be very careful about your word choice. Most people that speak English as a second language have a vocabulary of about 5,000 words. So you want to stay away from anything that might be colloquial, that might be words that we would use, but you wouldn't be able to find them in a dictionary or use a meaning that wouldn't be found in a dictionary easily. So would you have any um, top three tips for doing business in Canada specifically? In Canada, remember they are a separate country. They do not consider themselves part of the U.S. There's many times I've seen Americans go up there and say, oh, you're just like us. No, they're not just like us, and they don't want to be just like us. So that's one thing to be careful of. Realize that they are a sovereign country, and they like being like that. Mm -hmm. Basically, Canadians do speak English. You will find the spelling is going to be different because they use British English rather than American English. And realize that they are more proper when it comes to business meetings. They are prompt, just like we are. So that's a good thing. That's easy for us to, you know, roll with. They basically like people to be honest. They don't like people to be loud. So if you go out, you know, you want to make sure if you're drinking that you don't get too out of control. Mm -hmm. They like their sports, just like we do although some of those sports differ. So you may want to kind of learn a little bit about the sports that your counterparts enjoy. You may be asked to go to a game, and you'd want to know what in the world you are watching and be able to comment on it accordingly. Business itself and the legal system is very similar to the United States. So that is a, a very easy thing to deal with. Unlike a lot of your Eastern cultures where they're going to say yes and maybe mean no, the Canadians are going to say yes and they're going to say no. Whereas if you're in India, you're in China, they're always going to say yes. And all yes means is they hear you. It doesn't mean they understand you, nor does it mean they agree with you. And there's some of that that goes on in Mexico also. Well, that's very interesting. So now moving on to China, what are your tips for doing business there? I know you mentioned, um, you know, just because you get a yes, it doesn't mean yes. Could you elaborate on that any further or provide any other tips? Yes. In China, they want you to be happy. So they're going to say yes until something can't be done. And this is one of the problems a lot of U.S. corporations have run into over there. They think everything is on schedule because their counterpart is saying, oh, yes, yes, yes. That doesn't necessarily mean that. Good example, my daughter was just in Korea. She had talked with her counterpart. She was going over there to do experiments, scientific experiments. Yes, they're all up and running. We've got everything ready for you. She gets there. The equipment is still in crates. Oh, boy. So, I mean, even when you ask directly, you may not get a direct answer. So it, it, it can be it can be frustrating. Right. So, I mean, is there any way to mitigate that or to kind of ask different kinds of questions so you can really get the truth from them? Or You have to be very careful. You know, you have to say, are you ready to start doing the experiments? Have you run any 
prototype experiments already, what was the results. Try and get a little bit more nitpicky in your questions so that they're very, very specific and not general at all. And then you might get answers, and you still may not. It's a different mindset. It's all about keeping you happy until they have to make you unhappy. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about Mexico for a little bit. You said that they kind of have, you can find a similar kind of mentality going on there. Um, what other tips would you have for doing business in Mexico? A lot of these cultures that have this also have another thing going on, and that is they like to do business with people that they have a friendship with. So it's necessary to build a friendship before you ever get down to business. You want to develop a relationship. If you went into a Mexican's office, and and you may wait an hour, because they will finish with the person before you. They won't just cut off the meeting because they had a meeting with you at 3 o'clock. Once you're in there, they're going to offer you something to drink, which you need to take. And they're going to want to talk about family, your travels, They're not going to want to get right down to business. They want to learn to know you because developing that friendship is as important as doing business with you because they feel you can't have a successful business relationship without having a personal relationship also. Now, how did you learn all of these things about different cultures? Was it just through traveling or did you read any books? And if you you know, did read any books or take any classes, what were they and where can other people find those resources? Well, a lot of it was experience, doing things wrong and then learning what you do wrong and learning how to do it right. A lot of it is reading because, of course, I couldn't travel everywhere in the world. And women aren't as accepted in business in some parts of the world as they are in others. Mm-hmm. And basically, there is lots of information out there now. It, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't as much as there is now. You can find information, good information, online, in the library. There is, if you want something that's real good and short, there is a book called Culture Grams. Okay. And what they are is it's put out by Brigham Young University. They're four-page capsules of a country, and they give you intercultural information, a little bit of etiquette information, information on family life, business, economics, and they're real short. Another good place to find a lot of information on a country is the United States government websites. Either the State Department, they have a lot of information. I mean, the CIA Factbook is another one, another website. They have lots of information they gather, and they've always gathered this information, and it's been basically used for the office of protocol for the government so that presidents and representatives and senators and people that represent our government don't make mistakes. It's a wonderful source, and the nice thing about them is most of them are short. And then if you really want to get into a country, you can find books on almost any country in the world today. And would you have any final tips you'd like to share with our listeners? Because we are unfortunately running out of time today. Basically, if you're going to be working with people abroad, keep an open mind, learn to laugh at yourself, and just realize you're going to make mistakes. It's not the end of the world. And enjoy yourself. 
obviously, yes, enjoy yourself because they do, those cultures certainly do have a lot to offer. So you should take advantage of it while you are there. Yes, you should. Well, thank you for joining us today, Jeanette. We really do appreciate you sharing your expert advice. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Now, to find more employment-related shows, head over to lgnradio.com. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows, just shoot me an email at lgnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Katie Chesney with LGN Radio, and I'll see you next time.